Pray with me as I pray. Father, the words of that song, and what we've been talking about already today and praying through, that's what matters. It doesn't matter what we think we see out in the world and and what trouble we're trying to borrow from tomorrow, because there's more waiting. And we can embrace all of that here today and still fall upon our knees and say, Lord, give me faith to trust what you say, for your word is good and your love is great. Father, I pray now that may the words of my mouth convey that truth and that love for you that that shows no other way to get the peace that we're so desperately seeking than in the truth of God's written word lived out in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, what a wonderful, wonderful time that we're going to have today, worshiping you in spirit and in truth, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Stay standing as I invite my brother Jeremy up to read our passage today from God's word. should be on for you. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the ones who desire life, uh, to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Mm. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as your Lord in your hearts, and always being ready to make a defense for anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reservance. Those are not my spiritual gifts. And keep a good conscience, so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for what is doing wrong. For Christ also died for, uh, for sins for all, the just and the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jeremy. I think it's awesome. As you guys have a seat, just think about how Jeremy opened that with gentleness and tenderheartedness and see that man say that is just a wonderful picture, isn't it? We're going to be in God's word today, so if you need a Bible... Raise your hand and uh, Scott or Mimi will get you a Bible. We're going to be in 1 Peter today. I'm going to be walking us through the end of what has been a summer of gospel conversations, right? Gospel conversations. My name is Jeff Dawkins, and I serve as one of the elders. As John had talked about earlier, Pastor Doug's not feeling well, but in God's providence... I was going to be taking this message anyway, and so God is good all the time. So we do lift up our sweet pastor and his family. Uh, Let me ask you this question to get us kind of warmed up, although I've already cried twice, so I feel pretty emotionally ready. Um, Has anyone sitting here today, anyone sitting here today, been a part of a conversation with someone else about, ready for this, the Dobbs decision, abortion, gender issues, public education, or the role of people in the government? Anybody? Or is it just me? Right? Every hand should go up in some way. You either have been a part of this conversation, or you have heard the conversation, or you have been affected by this conversation. So let me ask you this. Have every person that you've either heard talk about this or spoken with yourself had the same answer? Has everybody had the same opinion? Well, as Christians in the room, we have the same opinions, right? We're Christians. Mo, no. (laughs) Generally speaking, yes. And and this is interesting because we're going to start off this idea of of, of you do you, right? That's our culture. You do you. You, What's good for you is good for you. You can be who, what, when, why, wherever 
and nobody better stop me from exercising my right to exist in my way. That's the message we're hearing, is it not? Just in those topics alone that I listed in the conversations I've had with people, that's the result. When you present a reasoned argument against people and against their arguments, and, and you say, here's why I believe what I believe, they go, well, dude, don't, exercise, don't, don't, don't put your religion on me. I can do what I want to do. Interesting. Interesting. Is there more to life, though, than just allowing people to dwell in their own you-do-you attitude? I would say yes. And as Christians, we recognize that our culture is literally celebrating a postmodern. that means we just do what we want to do, moral relativism. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. Hey, we both can have truth together, which if you say that sounds ridiculous to begin with, right? Anybody in public school, like, pick up your dictionary at some point and read the definition of truth. You can't have nine different things be true at the exact same time. So my belief for what's good and true and, and, and you do you attitude, they, they can't exist together. It makes it hard to have one standard of truth. Now, Catherine Johnson, I, I loved her prayer. And I, I, I wrote a note. As soon as she started praying, I went, she doesn't even know I'm going here. This is how beautiful God is. Did you hear what she prayed? She prayed about truth. She prayed about the revelation of truth and made the truth of God's word stand unopposed because that's where we define our moral code from. So I'll ask you our first talking point as I'm really getting warmed up now, right? It's your turn. Is there truth? And I ask you guys, is there truth? Is there, is there truth? I want, I want some answers. Somebody yell some answers. Is there truth and what is truth? Okay, so yes. Scott, I raised the Bible. Anita? That was prayed before, that was said, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed, the Son Jesus Christ. If his word sets you free, then you're free indeed. But, Jeff, what, what about, I, I can just be fine, I haven't hurt anybody. I believe what I believe, and, and I'm not hurting anybody, is that truth? Mike says, the commandments of God have not changed. So, this is the big deal, right? I, I will tell you this, something that my wife and I, have gained great victory on as I like pull back the curtain on our parenting for a second with our children who say, well, and I'm sure we're the only family that ever has children that say something like this. Why? Dot, dot, dot. Well, dad, why? And what we've been able to say effectively because it is true is that, look, the moral code that we subscribe to in our house is not one that me and mom made. We are facilitators of the commandments of God. God's moral code is truth. That's the truth that we're talking about. So you want to get down with that, you want to argue with God, go for it. Because we told you where truth is and what it looks like in your life. And it's really cool because my kids are super smart and they're just kind of like, that's a good answer. <laughs> you know? But in the, in the foundations class that we're wrapping up here, our final week come up on Wednesday, and there have been uh, five or six people that have faithfully attended this whole summer we highlight that there's only really two basic questions to learn. One, how to ask the right question of people, when you kind of this concept of truth. And two, how to rightly interpret the answer you get. Now, the first question is the basic uh, idea of apologetics, and the second is based on knowing the Bible and theology. So why does any of that matter at all? Do you remember that opening video that we showed? That was Tim Barnett from standareason.org. That was the training time on why we're all apologists, Right? If, if you understand that there is an answer to the question of is there truth, which is huge nowadays. Everyone in here should listen to my voice and online. That is the question being asked, whether you know it or not. Is there truth that I can count on? Is there truth? Jeff, why is there a fire burning Yosemite to the ground? Is there truth in that? Jeff, wh why are there people killing babies? Why are there people threatening the lives of Supreme Court justices? Is there truth in that? And the answer is yes. There is truth, but it's not found the way me and you look at it. And that was Tim's whole point. The answer is rooted in the doctrines of Christianity. We have truth. So what are we doing with it? All summer, we're working through the book God Space and talking about these gospel conversations. This should give you great confidence as we wrap up knowing that there is truth, how we interact with the world. So where have we been? How do we engage people in the life of Christ, where they're at. Where have we been? The gospel is the answer, right? 
And so we started with making room for God, and you can see it come up on the screen. Uh, Matthew 9, uh, Pastor Doug talked about being workers for the harvest. We stepped into grace in Luke 18. We looked at the example of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We were challenged, remember, to take notice in Luke 10 when the Good Samaritan parable was shown in a different way. Then we wanted to show people what it was like to serve and to serve the Father. And then we moved on to, to learn how to listen, get our listening ears on, right? And how to listen well in John 4 at the woman at the well. Last week, Pastor Doug talked about a series of I'm wondering questions. I'm wondering how you are. I'm wondering how basically we can get our spirit shown in our actions in Luke 24. Well, today, his message that he's given me is how to make his defense. So we're going to be in the Bible in 1 Peter 3, and I'm going to break down verses 8 through 18 today. So it's 1 Peter 3, 8 through 18. And I want to open the idea up with the main training thought for the day. So this idea that's going to drive us through the whole message is this. How do we share our strong hope in God's truth to bring him glory? So I'll say it again. How do we share our strong hope in God's truth to bring him glory? Because remember, for you uh, puritanical catechism type people, right? what's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God. Right? Chief end of man, glorify God. It's like number one out of 100. Chief end of man, glorify God. So we want to learn how to share our strong hope in God's truth to bring him glory. And we're going to see that answer through three areas today in our passage. I'm going to explain a section about character-driven hope and then move to testifying to your hope. And then I'm going to end with a small section on glorifying God in your hope. Now I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter 3.8. That's where we're going to start if I... Haven't already gotten you there yet. So I'm going to show how Peter's developing the needed character for every Christian they must possess. So I'm going to read. You can follow along. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. To sum up, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, like, legitimately, when I wrote this message, I, I had about 15 pages just on this one point. You could spend an entire like, message and a half just on this idea. But we're going to break it down, not in 15 pages, but hopefully in less than 15 minutes for you. So let's look at verse 8 to begin with, to sum up, okay? So the book of 1 Peter, or the letter of 1 Peter, Peter is, uh, he's giving affirmation and encouragement during a time of massive persecution of the church. The Christians of that time, under the Roman rule of Nero, were being sought out, not just because they were Christians, but certainly that. But as I talked about another message prior, uh, Nero had, in a drunken party, burned down half of Rome. And because he wanted to stay in power, guess who he blamed for that? The church, the Christians. It was the Christians' fault. They did it. They did it. Right? Because it's easier for them to say they did it than to say, Oh, no, I was right next to my wife, Adam says, and I let her take the apple. The same thing plays over history time and time again. So Nero blames the Christians, and the Christians are on the run. And I'll tell you what, it was accepted at the time that a family's together, they want to, uh, they want to persecute the Christians, so you know, they, they grab the guys, they kill them, or they imprison them. Maybe, maybe they beat the women and the kids, but they kind of leave them alone. And that was, I mean, you would agree, that's pretty intense persecution, right? Well, now this level of persecution, they're grabbing the guys, the girls, the kids, and they're taking them off to kill them. They weren't even pretending anymore like there's any kind of tolerance. They are going after every single person. So Peter is writing this letter to the churches to let them know that the overall theme is that you are going to be persecuted. How do we deal with our circumstances in light of persecution? And that's where we go. So there's so much about that. That's just in the to sum up, to sum up. So what Peter is saying in the to sum up is he, he's talking, he's already talked to servants, if you read the letter prior. 
wives, husband, and now as a finale, he's going to speak to every single person reading this letter. He's, he's letting them know this is what it's like to be a Christian. Be harmonious. Be harmonious in harmony or unity. And like we talked about in the first talking point, it is not expected that Christians will be little miniature versions of one another, that we, generally speaking, to my sister Jan's point, will have the same viewpoint, right? That's in harmony and unity. But the best formula is contained in this well-known expression. In fundamentals, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in everything, love. I'm going to say it again as it comes up on the screen. In fundamentals, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in everything, love. So we're literally to have compassion for one another. This, the compassion means that we're to suffer with one another. Now, as I look around our church here and I see the faces of people, there is not one person that I don't know in here. And there are many of you who have shared my struggles and my suffering. We have compassion with each other. We suffer with one another. To be sure, we share God's blessings with one another. We also share time where we have heartache and pain. And what Peter's reminding us is, look, in the fundamentals, have unity. Let's remember we're being persecuted. What do we do about that? The advice is age-old. It doesn't matter when you hear it, right? I mean, it applies now as it did when Peter wrote the letter. Love as brothers and being tender-hearted means having a heart sensitive to the needs of other people. Like when Mo prayed for Mario. It's easy. It's, let me tell you something. It's easy to walk by somebody and say, I really feel where you're at. It must be hard. It's harder to say, Oh, here's a dollar. It's harder further to say, hey, let's go over here and let me buy you something. Let me buy you a meal. It's even harder to say, hey, brother, let me give you a microwave and something for your place because you're not eating. Because that last part requires a linear thought and action. And it's hard sometimes to take action. And so let's not kid ourselves about that. Okay, let's not kid ourselves that we may, we may feel great about being able to say, I, I pray for you, and then move on to your bougie lifestyle, right? When other people, the same people you prayed for, the one that Brian led us into, the person in your mind that you know is a pre-Christian and not yet saved, could be because they're waiting for you to drop the dime on the gospel message. That, that could be it right there. And guess what? It takes work. But if you don't understand that you are that man, like Nathan says to Dave, if you don't understand that we are to be tenderhearted, to love as brothers, then it wouldn't matter to you at all if people don't hear the gospel. Right? Penn Jillette, in that video that was shown a couple weeks ago, made that point very clear. How, how can you say you love somebody if you wouldn't, if, if you, you hate them if you wouldn't tell them a car's coming and not get them out of the way, right? Doug had said it. I'll say it too, that was really convicting to me. I don't know where you go with that unless to say, all right, well, that's other people because I'm really good at telling people about Jesus. I'm like so good at it. Like I'm the coolest Jesus teller ever, right? Except you're not, except I'm not because until this world has been saturated by the gospel power of Jesus Christ, he's not coming back. He's not coming back. And Tim Barnett, said flat out, we are commanded to be apologists. We're commanded to provide reasoned arguments. So these are all great attributes, right? To, to love as brothers, to be tenderhearted, to be in unity, to be harmonious, right? Sounds to me also like it'd be a good recipe for a marriage as well. And you know, I say this because God uses marriage to refine the marks of character in us. And so for those of us who are married... My sweet wife and I are coming up on 25 years, and so we're very excited about that. We're only, we just got through our rookie years. We have about another 50 or 60 to go before we're veterans. And I'll tell you that it really does refine that mark of character in you. And if you want to know more about how that refines that mark of character, you should come to the marriage retreat. Come to the marriage retreat on August 26th. It's going to be at the Boulders. There's more information at the front. You can talk to Janine or Mike Bailey about it, but Pastor Doug and Carrie are going to walk us through a weekend of learning how to better define the marks of character and the reality of what that looks like in our marriage. So step into that, all right? Step into that. In verse 9, so that was just verse 8, I told you. This is 15 pages. Verse 9, 
to move on, we talked about the idea that the whole letter is written against the backdrop of persecution and suffering and how this is exactly how the Lord uses that time of testing to make us into the men and women he wants us to be because our life's witness should be the hope that we have in God's truth exactly, exactly how it looks like in the moment for other people because it's that that's going to bring the truth of God's glory to life. Let me say it a different way. And I, my brother Sean, I, the prayer time literally was giving highlights of my message, right? He said, he said, your personal testimony, it's, it's who we are to other people that is going to show the witness of God's glory. And as Christians, we're called, we, we learned about this in verse 9, we're called not to harm others, but to do good, and not to curse them, but to bless them. And then God rewards this type of behavior with the blessings. So verse 10 through 12, Peter is actually quoting from Psalm 34. So in your Bibles, it probably looks a little different. Mine is kind of inset a little bit. And it starts off with the one who desires life to love and see good days. He's quoting this psalm. And the the idea is that we're not going to repay back any kind of persecuted, suffering problems with what we can do back to them. But we're going to repay it with things that people aren't used to seeing. Uh, you want to yell at me and, and destroy my home? I'm going to go pray with you. You want to steal $1,800 from me? I'm going to go lay hands and you and pray for the success of your business. Oh, it's amazing. That was convicting to me because as a 20-year police officer, I don't want to do that. I want the guy to go to jail. <laughs> and we'll have a conversation about that later and Brian will remind me to pray for this guy and not arrest him again. <laughs> Right, But that's the thing. We want to do what others do to us. Right? There was, uh, I, I was in a, some leadership training. Somebody said, the golden rule in the Bible, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Do unto others as they need done to them. And they need Jesus. They don't need my anger. Somebody gets mad at me, they don't need me mad at them. Right? They need to have a different look. You need to listen well. Ask uh, the I'm wondering questions. Learn how to give the reason, defense, and the right answer. Not only in speech, right? Fire can't be fought by throwing more fire on it. We're seeing it in the wildfires. You you can't put out a fire by being more fiery. You just can't. That's adding fuel to the fire, children. Okay. So verse 10 through 12, I'm going to summarize here. Verse 12 The Lord is looking with approval on those who act righteously. Okay, evil is evil. God opposes evil. Like we recognize that there's evil. Well, sometimes we don't recognize evil in our own hearts. But God opposes evil and wherever he finds it, in the saved people or in lost people. He recognizes that it's his to deal with. I'm sure that there's never been an opportunity in your life where you say, oh no, God has called me for this purpose right now. I'm the one who's going to tell this guy or gal that they're wrong. Now, that's never happened to anybody but me, right? Like, I'm the only, the righteous anger. There is no such thing as righteous anger. You are not righteous. I I didn't write it. Deal with God. You're seen as righteous through the death of Jesus Christ. He's righteous. He's righteous. The Bible also said God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. All right? Peter leaves out in Psalm 34, this section, this inset at the end of our first point, he leaves out the ending words, and there's a reason for this. And if you guys are making a note, you should make a note about Psalm 34, and you should read this psalm. It's very interesting. Peter leaves out these words at the end. It says, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. So, verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, and then it says, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The omission that Peter had there, that wasn't an oversight. He didn't just, oh, I forgot it. I'm just Peter. I just forget things. That wasn't the issue. It was very intentional because the day of vengeance and recompense from the Lord, it wasn't here. He knew it. He's pointing out to them, guys, we have this ability that when Jesus returns as Lord of Lord and King of Kings, he'll punish the evildoers. He is again affirming in the lives of the Christians that are hearing this letter, you're going to suffer. It is not up to you to take that matter into your own hands. It's not. 
You may think it is. Guess what? It's not. Oh, let me highlight that even more. The Lord himself will be the one to judge. I'm not even going to bring up that last point is what Peter's doing. And you have to understand that the men and the women that are hearing this letter, this isn't the first time that they would have heard something like this. They would have known that was missing. That would have stuck out to them like, okay, now you're kind of caught. So turn your talking points over or turn your, uh, your bulletin over a little bit. We're going to do the second talking point. And I want you to look at this. Think about the idea about truth, right? It's up on the screen here. The second talking point, what's the perception of any message given by a Christian without character? So I heard three people at the same time say the exact same word, and I did not pay them to say this. Hypocrisy was one thing, right? Think of what we just talked about. All these different character traits and attributes about God's people, how we are called to act during persecution and suffering. What does it look like when the messenger has no character? Hypocrisy. What else? Is there truth in that moment? Let me ask you this question as a follow-up, and then I want to hear a little bit from you guys. Have you guys been different people before you were saved than you are now? Do other people in your life remember who you were before you were saved? Think about this talking point question. What's the perception of any message given by a Christian without character? What's that? It goes back to hypocrisy. I would tell you that it leads you back into people saying, oh, I remember you. You haven't changed. When when I was a, a young little Jeff cop that my brother Mike trained me and remembers this, I used to have blonde hair. It was spiky blonde hair that I bleached. It was a bad time in my life, and I apologize in advance for that. We have gotten rid of him, but I've lost more hair. I'm really not sure where the change goes there. But I will tell you this. I was really excited to be me. I was like really blonde, working graveyards, wearing a black uniform. People said, what happened? I said, Bumblebee got you. You know, and it was really cool to be violent, to be aggressive, and to be rude to people. That was my whole thing. And then I met Jesus. Then I met Jesus, and he changed me. He changed me. And it's only really, really super old people like Mike that have been around for 9,000 years that remember me back in those days. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm just kidding. I, it's, it's valuable to have a brother that you go through when I wasn't saved and that now as Christian brothers, Jesus stomped on me. He did. And what's really, really cool is this. People look at me now and I talk to them on the street, some of the newer cops, and I'll, I'll do some trainings and I'll tell a little bit more in depth of that story. And their face is like, Sarge, that, that can't be you. That can't be you. You're right. It can't be me. It is Jesus. Amen? It can't be me. It was me. And given the opportunity, it can be me again. The minute I want to walk out of line and remember that I'm not the guy that has the character. It's Jesus in me. Who do you present? Be the messenger with character. That wasn't in my notes. Okay. Going back in the text. Our second training truth. So we talked about character-driven hope. That's our first point. Our second point is testifying to our hope. And we're going to talk through verses 13 through 16. So let's go back in the Bible. Verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what's good? Now I'm just going to do what Pastor Doug would say and stop. All right? We're going to talk about this one verse for a second. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what's good? Well, the implied answer is no one. He's, he's asking, well, the way I read it is rhetorical. Wait, did you guys get that as well? He's telling you, hey, guys, who's there to harm you? No one's there to harm you, except consider the culture. Consider the time that they're living in. They were being harmed. People were legitimately being killed for their faith, not like, oh, we're suffering persecution. I had to pay $7 for my Starbucks. They're not talking about that. They're talking about, oh, as I walked down the road, a bunch of guys grabbed me and they put a sword through me and I had to crawl home and die in front of my wife and kids. That's what they're talking about. So what do you do with this? 
the history of the martyrs, it proves that the enemies of God do kill people. Look at Fox's Book of Martyrs, right? You really want to get humbled. Read any of their stories. So I'll submit to you that there are two explanations that I want to bring out in verse 13. And it's important you understand this. Because, and here's the why behind this. If you read verse 13 and say, well, no one's going to harm you. You're, you're, just, you're chasing the Lord, so you're doing good. And if you sell that to somebody, you sell it to your heart, the minute that something goes bad in their life, so, oh, whoa, whoa. gospel's not real. Gospel's not real. Who's this Jesus guy? It's unacceptable. So we need to have a, a clear understanding about the truth of Scripture. And so I'd submit to you this, that generally speaking, those who follow a path of righteousness are held in protection by the Lord for that righteousness. Okay? Now, that may look different. That may not look like, and this is my second point, your physical safety, right? The enemies of God, the enemies of God can only take you to physical death. Do you remember when Brian was talking about Stephen? Remember, I preached on that a couple weeks ago. The enemies of God only took Stephen to physical death, and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he slept. Guys, he died, right? That. He was martyred, but he was martyred with a smile on his face, looking up. Do you remember? Jesus stood up at the right hand of God, and he was locked in on Jesus. And that laser focus is what gives me the assurance in verse 13 that, yeah, guess what? I can be as, as, as loud, and I can, I can be as aggressive for Christ, but I may die for my faith. But what's in here will never die. And do other people see that? So Peter is going to work through the whole rest of the letter in that way. But this is a section where the area is strong. I, I want to, this is going to come on the screen here. I want to relate this. I read this. I just wanted you guys to see it. During World War II, a Christian boy of 12 refused to join a certain movement in Europe. Don't you know that we have the power to kill you, they said? Don't you know, he replied quietly, that I have the power to die for Christ. He had the conviction that no one could harm him, even when looking death in the face, and he died. He died, right? And just like we've heard before, and that the gospel tells us, the enemies of Christ thought they won when they put him on a cross. All they did is prep him for his victory three days later. The enemies thought they won. Christ rose three days later and showed us what real power looks like. And real victory looks like. If you've seen, listen, if you've seen at all, ever in your life, any example of God's power, just go ahead and raise your hand. If you've seen any example of the victory that comes through Christ, raise your hand. Look around. It's real. Put your hands down now. It's real. And guess what? We're not done yet. Moving back in the text. 14, again, talks about being uh, blessed through suffering, not fearing the intimidation, but the key to this whole passage is in verse 15. It was in the opening video that Tim Barnett talked about. I'm going to read verse 15 to you. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So often, I've, I've actually preached on this section of scripture before, and I've really talked about the, uh, the apologia, the, the reasoned arguments, the defense. But if you know your grammar, so they may not teach that in school anymore, but when I was going to school, we had to write the box around the preposition, the, like, the brackets around this. Some of you guys are going like this. Mike's like, they had pens back then? So, you know, they, we have to learn our grammar. You have to learn what this actually says. The point of this, let me read this to you again. The point of this, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, that's the how, to everyone, that's the who, to ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you. The object of all of this is to give an account for the hope. Do you see that? Do you see that? It's written in the text. We are called to provide a reasoned argument in a way that's gentle, in a way that's non-confrontational, because, why? We want people to see the hope inside of us, right? We want people to see the messenger of hope give that gospel. So when you ask somebody, hey, I'm wondering how uh, your life's working out, you know, when you, uh, I don't know, 
I'll just keep it clean. I'll just say to make bad choices over and over again, you sleep on the streets. How's that working out for you? Well, I don't know, pretty bad. I sleep on the street. Right. Where do you go from there? Right? You say, well, you know what? I was also on the street. I didn't even realize it, though. I'm two decisions away from where you were. And let me, pot- let me tell you about a God who decided I was worth talking to in the way that you're worth talking to now. You, you, you got to wonder to yourself, don't people need to see this hope? And should it matter? It should matter, right? That hope is what we're, we're, we're uh, focusing on. That's the key here. So a couple weeks ago, Pastor Doug referenced this concept of entry gates. Do you guys remember that? Remember that phrase? If you're in the training center, and we're talking about that in a little bit here, but if you're in the training center, you're going to hear about that in, in the end of our second year, moving into our third year, about entry gates. Like listening, ready for this? I point to my eyes. Listening with eyes to see and hear people's hearts. Because you're watching people's movements, you're listening, you're trying to find out a way to get something spiritual in the conversation, to ask good questions to admire something about them, and then to admit that you yourself were right there and that you needed a God powerful enough to save you from some of the drama that was going on, right? So our personal story, as Sean said before, our testimony is the most relevant thing we can give someone. It really is. Do you remember when, uh, when Peter was walking by the gate and saw the beggar, and he's begging, he's like, give me some alms, and he looks at him. He locks eyes with them. The way that Brian locked eyes with me, which was creepy and cool at the same time. And he says, look, gold and silver I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand up. He did. He, he did. He said, this is what I'm giving you. I'm going to give you everything that I know. I'm going to give you the hope that resides inside of me. As was in the first part of the video, the word defense, that apologia, we testify well with a solid argument. People are left to their own means. It is not up to us at times to close that argument. John Morris originally referenced that book, Tactics, and Greg Kokel makes this point that sometimes we are to put pebbles in people's shoes. Think about that. You know what that means. Like, it's just, you know it's there. Maybe you're hiking, O'Brien, right? You're hiking, you go, there's a pebble in my shoe. I have to walk nine more miles. I'm not going to worry about that now. And it's cool until mile three. And then mile seven, you're like, there's literally a pebble in my shoe. It's now moving its way up into my hip, right? Because it's just, you you can't. And then by nine, you're like, get the pebble out of my shoe. So for nine miles, he's had to reconcile with a pebble in his shoe. And most times, guys, most times, we're called to testify to the hope to people. We're not called to be the hope closers. Now, sometimes God graces us by showing us what that looks like. And he won't mind that I say this, but like my brother Mo. And David Kennedy was there. We're sitting here having uh, a talk, and brother Mo wasn't saved. It was leading through a book study. I think we were talking God's at War, some, some book study about hope. And we close it. I'm ready to leave. It's at my second office at Panera. I was ready to go to work and fight crime, make the streets safe. And Mo says, hey. And he puts his hand on my Bible and he goes, can you teach me to read this? My wife's laughing because she remembers the story. I didn't even know what to do. Okay, ready? I was speechless. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Because I always have something to say. Okay, that's fine. Always have something to say, okay? I do. In that moment, I was completely stunned because I didn't know what to do with the gift that God was giving me in that moment. Fortunately, my brother David said, because he just looked at me, and I'm like, and for people that are watching online, I was, right? David said, Mo, what do you mean by that? He asked the question of life. Like, what do you mean by that? And he said, I just, and Mo starts crying because Mo's a crier, if you know him. And David walked him through the gospel, and it was this amazing moment that solidified our relationship forever as brothers in Christ. That will never be taken away. Amen. Right? Yeah. And that's cool. And sometimes you get glimpses like that. Sometimes you do. Sometimes, however, though, um, you get other glimpses. You get glimpses of walking into your boss's office and saying, hey, I know that you've committed this sin 
and you can't claim the name of Christ and still commit this sin. Knowing, I, there have been many times that I thought I was fired. This was definitely one. I called my wife. I said, hey, I'm getting fired here in a minute. And she's like, what? What are you, what are you doing? I go, I call you back. I got to deal with something, which is not a cool thing to do to your wife, right? <laughs> and I went and confronted my, my, my supervisor in his office at work and said, what you're doing is wrong, and I won't stand idly by by this. You do with that what you will, but just know you've been put on notice. Not by me, but by God. Deal. Deuces. And I literally went back to my office as a detective and started packing stuff up. I thought I was being fired. God saw a different way, right? Sometimes you don't see the, the closure that comes from your witness. I look around, I'm just thinking, like, Marco Brill had to go through stuff last year. He has a new baby now. Like, what do you, what do you deal, when you deal with things that are hard, what was Mark's response? Mark prayed with his wife after praying to God and without talking about it, because we haven't talking about the story, right? And then he reached out to other brothers and said, hey, would you pray with me? I'm looking for a way to validate what I know my heart is telling me in my mind. I think this is true. What do I do with this? A lot of times, if you're going to testify the hope that resides inside of you, you have to test that well, okay? And so if you want to know more about that and that truth, you should read the Bible. And guess what? We're doing a training center starting up here on September 6th. This is my shameless plug to get you guys involved in the Old Testament. You want to really watch the New Testament become real to you and just jump up and, and be alive? Learn your Old Testament. Learn about what happened. As Pastor Doug takes us through on Tuesday mornings and Tuesday nights, get with him if you want to be involved in this, but it'll take us right through right before Thanksgiving, and it'll be the best time that you'll spend on a Tuesday. Deal. Cool. Amen. Right. It gives you more hope to testify to that reasoned argument, that apologia. And, and remember, the word of God, as you talk about all the time, is sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews tells us that, which means it's capable of cutting through all of your garbage and cutting through all of their garbage and revealing the gospel if you're willing to be present. you got to show up. So we got to have character-driven hope that's going to show up. We have to be able to testify to our hope. But... The truth is going to come out one way or another, right? As it did when I confronted my supervisor, as it's done in the lives of people that have been changed by Christ, the truth comes out. And I had someone talk to me one time and said, hey, you know what, Jeff, you're stressing me out. I don't know why they said that. I was like, what do you mean? You're really intense all the time. I said, what are you talking about? You're dumb, right? With gentleness and reverence. And the person said, you need to understand that sometimes you just have to offload in a healthy way. If you don't, all of that bad stuff is going to come out like a trash can. Now, kids, a trash can was an old school can with a lid. Everybody's laughing. Kids don't know it. They don't know it. Don't. They don't know it. And, and then what happens is we would always fill it up, right? And you pull the bag up because you want to make sure you don't want to take the trash out. So you fill it up more and more and more and more. And you jam the lid down on this. And then what happens is you find your little brother, or, you know, I'd tell Luke, Luke, take this out. And he'd take it and take it out and rip. And all the nasty garbage that you have been piling in there for days and days and days and weeks and weeks comes spilling out for God and country to see. Hallelujah. Right? Where is the excedrin? You go, wait a minute. Where is that truth? That truth is right there in front of you. That truth came out. That truth came out because you were in your sin, you were hiding it, you were not confessing it. But we all know, as I continue this really poor analogy, if you take the trash out regularly, your house doesn't stink and the bags don't break. Right? Think about that. We have an opportunity to study God's word, to learn his truth, so that we can be effective witnesses to what he's trying to do. Turn your page over, your notes over to the third and last talking point. Think about what I just said. What are some obstacles other people have from hearing the truth of the gospel as presented to them, which seems easy? And how do we hide our hope at times when talking with people? Because that's the issue. And so I, I, had, I wanted some note cards passed around. I didn't tell anybody about it, so it's my fault. But just in the space here, write down some of these responses you're hearing. So I, I want to get real with you guys. What, what are some ways that we hide our gospel? What are some obstacles that people 
have to hearing it. What do you think? Hocus pocus change the focus. For those who couldn't hear, most said you start talking to me about something and I turn it around. It's, uh, it's the art of deflection, right? Parents, we know what that looks like. No, 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 no. It's not what I asked you. I asked you this, right? So that's some of the, some of the ways that we both have obstacles and that we allow ourselves to hide the truth. We allow ourselves to get moved in a different direction because admittedly it's not comfortable at times, right? You start talking to somebody. I was thinking about my brother Christian just got back from a 40-day trip where he was hiking on this mission trip. And it may not always have been comfortable for him to talk to complete strangers about Jesus. But if you know Christian, that's all him all the time. So he's like, oh yeah, I do it all the time, right? But what if it's not? The minute you get a little entry gate, you push in and someone redirects you, you're like, oh, amen, I'm saved. I don't have to go down that path, right? So it takes courage. I'd write that down for sure. It takes courage. It takes conviction. It takes knowledge of the truth. When my recovered Jehovah's Witness friend of 20 years over there, when Jehovah's Witness would come to the door and they'd give you something about Jesus, you're like, well, that actually sounds like it's legit. Like, right. Then you ask them who Jesus is to them. Is Jesus the Son of God? And they go, have a good day. If you don't know God's truth, how can you effectively share it? How are you ready then to not hide your hope? We should have hope. We should have prayer for those people. And I know David and I have had many conversations. His heart is praying for the Jehovah's Witness people. So we talk about character-driven hope. We've just looked at how to testify to our hope. In the rest of the chapter, we're going to look at two other verses, and this point goes fast. It's verses 17 and 18, the third training truth, glorifying God in your hope. This is going to focus on how we can bring God glory through the sufferings that come with being his strong messenger. So read along in the passage with me, verses 17 and 18. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. The rest of chapter 3, guys, represents Christ as the classic example of the one who suffered and went through persecution and yet did it in the only way that he could with righteousness and for that sake. And for him, suffering was the pathway to glory, right? I dare you to challenge me on that. Suffering was the pathway to glory. We celebrate this by the cross. The Bible tells us in one of Paul's last, well, Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, it'll be on the screen, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not may, not could, not every fourth Tuesday. You will be persecuted. Oh, and by the way, there's no time frame and there's no circumstances around that. You'll be persecuted walking to your car. You'll be persecuted at school. You'll be persecuted at church. Yeah. Spiritual abuse, real thing. You'll be persecuted in your friendships, persecuted in your marriage. And above all of that, how do you choose to respond? Our Savior being persecuted went to the cross. The crux of these verses center around the truth that, that preachers of God's word we should expect the suffering to come up. Because if we are suffering, we know that we are being effectively used for the kingdom. I personally, especially as an elder, I would worry if you're like, oh, my life is great. My life, I have no worries at all. No one bothers me. Everybody tells me how great I am. And all you hear when you start looking and listening is you hear I, 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 I. And great, 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 great. You put it together as I am great. No, no, the I am is great. Get your focus in the right area, right? The point of verse 17 is that the right thing to do is not subjective, and that's how we started. Truth is truth is truth. When we give ourselves the truth, that's the hopeful witness that the world needs to see. Now, we're going to be saved. You have to remember this by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It starts 
It continues and it ends on the cross. And Peter finishes chapter 3 and into chapter 4 by giving an Old Testament look at the person of Moses in this example. And I, I want to invite the worship team up and the people that are going to pass the trays out for communion at the tables because we're doing that today. And as I start to land this plane, the last part of chapter 3, it does talk about this analogy, right? If you have questions about that, there's, there's some thoughts about baptism. You can certainly look at the tables or call me. But to recap where we've been, our main training thought today is Remember, how do we share our strong hope in God's truth to bring him glory? And we've, we've, we've covered that today through three areas, about being messengers of character-driven hope that testify to our hope and that ultimately glorify God in our hope. I came across this from a martyr named James Guthrie. He said this right before he was hanged for his faith. He said, Dear friends, Pledge this cup of suffering as I have done before you sin. For sin and suffering have been presented to me and I've chosen the suffering part. Friends, how often do we choose the sin part? Because it's easy in the moment. It's easy in the moment. It just costs you everything. No, I'm not saying that I, I seek suffering in my life. But when I think about the suffering that I am involved with, am I praying to the God of all creation who gave me the ability to persevere in my witness to get me through that suffering? Or do I think I just need to, you know, draw my gun, wear better armor, get a bigger house, better 401k? Is that how I'm fighting? We fight the spiritual forces of darkness with heavenly divine weapons. Okay? The people who are prepared as commanded through strong established character, to give an authoritative yet gentle defense of the gospel truth in their lives will be sharing their witness of what real truth looks like to the world. That's the point. This whole message today is around that verse. People need to see that experience from us. They need to see it. They don't need to see Christians that walk around saying, I'm so scared about what tomorrow will bring. They don't need to see Christians that say, uh-oh, my life didn't go as planned. I'm not the center fielder for the Yankees. Therefore, I'm going to just pack it on in. What they need to see is that you are a real person, as real to them as they are to you. You're not up here. You're not beneath them. You're here with them. Nobody likes to be looked down upon, and no one feels empowered looking up to somebody. But when you walk shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm with someone and say, I've been where you've been, but I'm not living there now. Let me tell you more. That's when God gets glorified. We learn his word as I close, to live his word, to preach his word, as we share an undefeatable hope in his word. So will you guys be spirit-filled, word-centered, hope-sharers with me? Will you? Let's pray. Father God, you have continued to blow the roof off of anything I thought would happen today, beginning with the opening song, continuing in prayer, and the prayers of your saints here in this body. And Lord, your message came alive in a way that I didn't even prepare so that you would get glory because it's about you. And Lord, as we take away anything from this, let us be hope sharers because of the truth of your word demands and we are commanded to press into to share with other people. Lord, give us a heart for you as we seek you every single day. In the name of Christ, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.